Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, production of iHeartRadio. And today is Tuesday. So that means women around the world. Da-da. Did you like that jingle? Yeah. Oh, you had it. That had an accompaniment. That was really yeah, that's nice. That's right. It was like a yes and. We're yes improving. <laughs> We've got this. Yes. And as per usual, we wanted to talk about an amazing woman who has been a hero for her country and for her people. And we wanted to celebrate all the things that she has done. And yes, we are talking about Dr. Amani Balor, who was documented for her time as the director of a subterranean hospital in the Oscar-nominated film, The Caves, released in 2019 by Ferris Fayad, who also had another documentary previously that also was, I believe, nominated about Syria. Um, and we wanted to talk about her because, obviously... She is a hero, and um, I was able to, after finding her name in my many hours of research and trying to find the perfect woman to highlight, I did see that the movie was streaming on Hulu and stayed up all night one night watching it in tears. So if you haven't been able to check it out, you really should. Dr. Amani Balor is a 33-year-old pediatrician that helped lead an underground secret hospital known as The Cave during the attacks, including the chemical attack in eastern Ghouta, which is the suburb of Damascus. Dr. Armani was raised in the area she later would serve as the youngest of six. She had two brothers and three sisters. And as she became a teenager, she, unlike her sisters, insisted on continuing her education and moving on to college. Originally, Dr. Armani wanted to be an engineer, but because her family refused to support her in this as engineering was seen as a man's job, she moved on to study medicine and focused on being a pediatrician. It wasn't long after she graduated that she started volunteering at a hospital in eastern Ghouta, but the hospital, which at the time was currently under construction, was attacked and seized, which forced the small staff to be moved to an underground, unfinished building later known as the cave. We are referring to her as Dr. Armani because that's what she's referred to throughout all the documentaries as well as any other reports. So if you're wondering... That's why. So she started her career during the Syrian civil war, which has been ongoing for over 10 years. And yes, ongoing. It's still happening. The war has wreaked havoc and tragedy throughout the country, killing over 380,000 people, while 205,300 people are missing or presumed dead. At least 55% of Syrians have been displaced since 2011. And as 2021, at least 13.4 million people inside of Syria needed some sort of humanitarian assistance, including more than 12 million who are struggling for food and from malnourishment, including half a million children. And though medical facilities are supposed to be under protective status, there have been at least 595 attacks on 350 different facilities, which resulted in deaths of at least 923 medical personnel and one who was actually featured on the documentary as well and had left only half of the medical facilities operational. Then uh, this is all according to the Physicians of Human Rights. During her time in the cave, Dr. Amani was voted to be the manager, our lead, of the hospital in 2016, which made her the first woman and only woman to lead and manage the hospital. She supervised the ins and outs of the hospital and the constant chaos of a hospital that was often low on supply and staff and even treatment options. She spoke about how she had to make the tough choices in which person to treat and who to use what resources on. Quote, all of them have the same symptoms. All of them are suffocating, but I had to choose. I will work with this child and the other die. I always think about that. I feel I am guilty. 
Right. And if you do watch the documentary, there's so much within the conflict and just the emotional trauma on her and the rest of the staff literally having to pick and choose who might survive, who can be treated and who isn't treated. Um, yeah, And during the filming of the documentary, you can see the continued conflict of trying to remain calm during those situations of continued life and death and being under constant threat of being bombed. And you do see people being traumatized and suffering from severe PTSD as events happen. And of course, as a woman trying to navigate through a really sexist society as a lead of the medical facility, it's interesting to see how she handles herself. At one point in the film, she is confronted by a man who insists she gives them medication and, or prescribes them the right medication that they don't have and they can't find and demands to see a male manager stating a male manager would, quote, do a better job and that, mm. quote, women should stay home, not work, um, and would not relent until a male coworker who came and defended her. She pretty much says, she's the one who's leading. We voted for her. She can do this. And right. he finally left. It was just the whole thing. And she states about being a woman leader, quote, men in our community, they say, no, you should be at home or you can work in your clinic, but not to be a manager of the hospital. I insist. And I want to challenge them and prove that a woman can. I have to support women because if I succeed, all women will be supported. That will make men think that, of course, women can succeed and they can do that. And again, in the film, they have an interlude where she's getting messages from her parents and they're like, come home, come home. You're bringing shame because you're working and you should be home with us. And of course, it's just a lot of worry about what she's doing. But she's out here actually trying to give women jobs so mm -hmm. they can provide for their families. At one point, she goes out and um, visits the village people and tries to give a woman a job and she says she can't because she's a woman and she has to stay home. And it was a really sad situation, but this was her push. She's like, I will bring as many women to work here as possible. Mm -hmm. She continued the operations of the hospital until she was forced to leave in 2018 after she and her crew were told by leaders of the Russian army, quote, you should leave by buses or we will kill all of you. And she continued stating, I cried a lot when we left. In Alguta are our memories, our dreams. I was born in Alguta and grew up there and I like the hospital. I like the cave. I can't find words to describe what I felt at the time. She soon was able to get refugee status in Turkey and moved to Germany and has since married a Syrian man and at one point wanted to move to Canada. Yeah, and actually, if you remember, Annie, this was one of those contentions when during the Trump administration, they had banned all travel from Muslims, essentially Muslim countries. Mm -hmm. And uh, even though they don't want to admit it, it was a Muslim ban. And mm -hmm. she and the filmmaker were having a hard time getting a visa trying to attend the Oscars, which they were nominated for. Right. Uh, and I remember it was a huge debate, huge conversation. And finally, they were able to work it out, I think is where they would, uh, they would say it, and attend. And I'm really glad they were able to. But of course, it just shows once again mm -hmm. uh, how... Yeah, misinformation and fear-mongering just does such harmful things because this film was, again, amazing and I think it's, everyone should see it. But she is currently trying to establish a foundation to help other women and children in conflict, partnering with uh, the Belgian King Budo Foundation, uh, stating, quote, we aim to help and empower women in conflict zones to support women leaders and to support the children also. And apparently she has decided as of, I believe, 2020, that she was stepping back away from being a pediatrician because it's just too hard for her to work with children. And I completely, completely get that in the sense of not as much trauma as she saw, but mm -hmm. even in my small point of view with the children that I lost, it's hard. 
And yeah. it was detrimental to her. Uh, she talked about just still thinking on it and thinking about how many things that she wasn't able to do. It was definitely a conflict for her. And I'm really good for her for being able to move on, for doing that for her own health and sanity and, and improvement. But of course, uh, she has been recognized for her tireless and fearless work in Syria. Here's a quote from a Deadline article. For her work, she was recently awarded the Council of Europe's Raoul Wallenberg Prize, named for the Swedish diplomat who saved thousands of Jews during World War II. Dr. Amani Balor is a shining example of the empathy, virtue, and honor that can flourish even in the worst circumstances. In the midst of war and suffering, the Council of Europe's Secretary General noted. She risked her own safety and security to help those in the greatest need. And she has also been awarded the 2021 Voices of Courage Award from the Women's Refugee Commission. Yeah, and I'm sure she's going to get many more accolades and awards, especially with the foundation that she's uh, trying to establish and being able to talk about. I know one of the big things as they were leaving Syria, as they were trying to flee, she did talk about being sad, not being able to be with her family, being able to see what was happening, to finish her work, and feeling like at one point, I think she felt like she was giving up again because she loved what she was doing. But the fact of the matter is, it was something that she had to consider for herself and her staff about the safety and the needs for themselves and having to flee. It's not easy. And uh, for a little more in-depth conversation about what's happening in Syria, there's definitely a lot of documentaries out there that you can look into. BBC has a really good article, kind of a rundown and a timeline of what's been happening which is where we got a lot of the statistics on here. And it is, it's really sad what's been happening and the amount of damage that has happened. I know at one point there's a historical society who's trying to keep track of all of the buildings that are just being decimated um, and all of their history and, and their culture being decimated by the airstrikes, continued airstrikes and war that's happening and whether or not uh, who's going to intervene I know there's a big conversation within the UN about what's happening in Syria. And there's so many things happening around the world that is heartbreaking. Um, and we want to acknowledge that as well for the things that are happening in Palestine and the people who are being displaced and murdered and, and just going through all this tragedy. We're thinking about all of y'all, the people who are affected, the families who are seeing this from afar. Yeah. Please know that we are sending love. I don't know what else to say to that. It's, that seems so trivial in comparison to what people are experiencing right now. Yeah, yeah. But certainly, certainly on our mind and uh, something we're thinking about. As always, listeners, if you have a woman that we should be highlighting in these segments, please email us. You can do that at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff I've Never Told You or on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 